He's in some other. He's already in some virtual reality. Trying to think up what to say next. Always am, always will be. <laughs> oh, we're rolling. Hello. Hey, it's the Engineering Podcast. I'm Adam. I'm Brian. Welcome back for another another hang. Thank you. Talking some more virtual reality this week, yeah? VR numero dos. But first, special thanks to our backers on Patreon who throw us as little as a buck to help keep this thing going. Thank you. Uh, it really goes a long way in terms of server space, things like that. Little things that it's it's cheap to run a podcast, but... It's, you know, it ain't free. It ain't free. <laughs> That's patreon.com slash engineering pod if you want to check it out. P A T R E O N. Thank you for your help and support. I feel weird for how good I've gotten at spelling that. Patreon. But also, people don't know how to pronounce it and they screw it up and they don't. It's I, I end up spelling it almost I'm every sure time it comes Thousands up. of people have tried to donate. To our podcast and just haven't been able to get to the website. <laughs> Can't leave that money on the table. <laughs> uh, anyway, after the last uh, virtual reality one, there were there were requests for more on the tech. This week we're gonna try to dig in on that. That this is this is a techie. This is a techie episode. This right. is a very uh, math based. So if you're not <laughs> really some interested in the physics and technology of how there might be some VR math. works, yeah, go listen to one of our old shorties or something. You know, we'll call it VM, virtual math, vir, 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 visual math. No, I don't want to turn anyone away. If you're <laughs> not interested, math. you should be. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, so where where do we start with? I guess let's first, reintroduce VR real quick. Right. So virtual reality, sometimes coupled with AR or MR, which are uh, stand for mixed reality or augmented reality. They're all versions of a new type of interface for computing, essentially, that incorporate the real world to different extents. VR is 100%. You put on a helmet, you're in another world. All of your sense, all of all of the senses that we can currently control are are devoted to being in that world. Mixed reality will put a little goofy creature dancing on your living room table or whatever. But it's you're still looking at the world around you. It's projecting a reality on top of the real world. Or augmenting it if they're, like, giving you extra data, right? They're <laughs> augmenting reality with additional content. Uh, a couple weeks ago, we did an episode where I came up to uh, L.A. and we did an episode in person. We did a, a real physical episode about virtual IRL. reality. Because I had to travel to L.A. to try out the VR system that you've been testing with uh, for work. And... Uh, I was pretty blown away by the experience. Uh, and so the experience of what a, what a current gen virtual reality system is, is essentially a, a gaming computer with a cutting edge graphics card and then uh, a big headset that you put on, like a big ski mask that you put on, and then two controllers, two handheld controllers that are like Wiimotes that know the whole thing knows where you are. And you can go listen to this episode we did a, a couple weeks ago 
this is this is full on. Uh, it's the VR that we've been promised. I think the comment you kept making, it's the jetpack we've been promised. Uh, you are in virtual reality. You are picking things up on desks. You can flip through books. You are manipulating things with your hands. I'm physically walking around the room in the real world and at the same time physically walking around, virtually walking around the room. Uh, the words are interchangeable. It's, it's physical, virtual, all at once. And it was incredible. And we mostly just talked about the experience. We talked about the games and stuff. And this week, uh, we're going to dive into how that tech works. Uh, to get into like the nerdy stuff, you know, that we really like to take things apart and tinker. I think the best way to follow chase that is going to be the... What are the senses? All of the senses that we... So give me the the five senses. The five senses. Don't forget the sixth sense. <laughs> no, You've got... Third eye doesn't count. <laughs> of course you would say that. So what are the five senses? dun 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 We've got uh, sight... Right, which typically I think people say that's one of our most prevalent ones, right? What is sight? It's sensing electromagnetic radiation. It's seeing light. You get light waves, right? Shooting at your eyeballs. You see them, you sense them, you can see color that way. You've got sound, hearing with your ears, which is essentially picking up vibrations in the air, physical movement of air, moving things in your ear. You've got sight, sound, touch. You've got touch, right? Touch is kind of the same thing as hearing, you're physically interacting with matter. You're feeling temperature. You're feeling energy transfer, heat, cold, uh, vibrations again, movement, friction. Uh, then you've got taste, which is really your body analyzing molecules, right? You're getting food in there. Little pieces of molecules interact differently with different parts of your tongue, and you taste things. You can taste. Your body is sensing, hey, is this molecule? Should I be eating it? Which is also how your nose works. Oh, right. Smell. And smell, which is... Oh. Smell, which really is, right, they intermingle so much, right? Half of taste, people say, is often smell, um, uh, and maybe vice versa, too, if you look at it that way, right? Smell is kind of the same thing. It's molecular, it's physical and molecular, right? There are pieces moving around, it's a physical thing in your mouth interacting, and how do molecules interact with molecules built into my body that are built to sense it? And so, with those five senses, uh, and we can say third eye, which it's pretty silly to not say that your brain is a sensor. It's sensing something. Uh, but in this sense, we're talking like classic physics. We're going to cover classic physics here and not go into the Zen until a little later in the episode. Uh, so third eye will be the sixth sense, maybe. Right. Um, but uh, <laughs> those are your six senses, five senses. <laughs> and those all just constitute like, data signal. Right, like I think everything that you would call a sense past that, which we'll definitely talk about, they're more like algorithms for understanding data signal, right? Or for conceptualizing places where we think there might be signal, but we don't have the tools to perceive them. And that's why we just introduced them in such a nerdy way, right? But it's they're data streams, right? And then those data streams are also sort of classified based on a certain granularity. That's like, mm -hmm. if you want to make a chemical that tastes like another thing, it's a really complicated process because you're trying to fool your tongue into making it taste like mm -hmm. chocolate. And, and don't be mistaken. That science is fucking locked down. Like they got a lab in Jersey where you can dab Q-tips and go, I just ate a whole Big Mac. Yep. In my mouth. Because Big Macs are just made up flavors that right. are injected into yeah. card so, cardboard. <laughs> <laughs> so it's not like so it's not like what we're chasing with VR is replicating the harder to replicate pieces of this even. It's like 
we we have all of the senses dominated at this point. We can create a five sense virtual experience we, if we wanted to. We're definitely closing in on all the senses. And in some be, cases, we've surpassed them yeah. in our digital reproduction. In ways. In certain ways. Right. And that's kind of what this episode and so is about. The VR is not handling taste. It's not handling smell. And currently... The extent to which it's handling touch is not contro- a lot. You have some controllers, but it's not it's not tactile. There's no there's well it you it's don't not, step on a thing and then feel like oh that was a rock. Things aren't pushing back at you. There is haptic. There's a haptic response, which is the the term for like when your phone vibrates and you can like like rumble packs on controllers right. that people experience with. And I do have to say. That in sense for touch, no, the game's not VR. Modern VR is not really addressing touch yet. But when I first pulled back a bow and arrow on your VR system, I even felt like I had resistance because the haptic response was so. At the good. time, you literally said, "I there's even tension on the bow. How are they doing tension on the bow?" It was. It was and then you went, "Oh, oh, it's the haptic. Wow, it tricks your brain that it was much." Surreal. Right. That was your quote about. The VR is so How? close that your brain's starting to fill in things it's expecting. Kind of like your eyesight fills in places where it expects to see things, why optical illusions work. And so VR is starting to be augmented by our intelligence. But anyway, that's my sense on touch. So what it's really, what modern VR is addressing right now really aggressively, and what most of our media addresses really aggressively, is sight and sound. Movies, TV, radio, music. And then it starts to touch on what I think could be classified very ungranularly in the third eye space, uh, physical uh, position, physical being. Where am I in a room? Where am I on Earth? Where am I in the universe? Right, because sensations that are that are, that are represented by the like that are the sensations that are the representation of an aggregate of these things that we're able to sense, right? Like you and and so. The thing that's so crazy with the VR that we were talking about before, like in the video game space, I feel like is where you would think of it, in the computing space, as they started to merge those together, this is what we talked about. Mostly, this if you didn't listen to the other podcast, go back and check it out, because this sentence kind of sums it up. <laughs> like, it turns out that when you start to combine those things at the point that we're now doing... Your brain, you go, you go to pull back that bow, and your brain goes tension, and then you sort of have this counter experience of like, no, there can't be tension. This isn't real. But for that split second, it was fooled because all the other detail was there. So like, that's part of how we perceive the world so fast. We start, your brain starts to make decisions about how something is, so that you can react to it and not get eaten by a tiger, like way before it has verification that yes that's a tiger which is why like out of the corner of your eye occasionally you go huh that was nothing <laughs> shit is that a tiger that was nothing it was Wait, nothing there are no tigers but sometimes <laughs> when the light changes that way it's a tiger and it's about to kill you so so you can't like as far as your brain is concerned so it so you still so that the aggregate of these things like gets you really far and so we've hit that point now where there are virtual experiences that give me vertigo even though I know I'm absolutely not at the top of a, a building, like 
having any reason to have that like whoa i'm high up you just made an interesting uh comment there you said i know i'm not at the top of a building but clearly you don't know you're not at the top of a building because you just responded as though you were so very clearly there are either two of you in in there somewhere right or you don't know that you're not at the top of building you actually don't know if you're on the top of a building in gotham city or if you're standing in your own living room and that is incredible i feel like that's part three of that's this? part three just because then we got to really talk about like <laughs> the fact that you have no proof that you even exist but before that that is every episode <laughs> before that we got to talk about the technologies that came together to make this experience yeah, was so, so convincing that that you know brian talked about it the way that he did last time we did vr so i feel like let's introduce the gear real quick the roughly not the even gear yeah, the setup. What do you okay. what do you have in your living room that runs this? Yeah, we we kind of went through it last time, but you're talking about a headset, headphones, and then a whole bunch of different sensors that work together to constitute the the system. And little a, little stands you put yeah. around the room, and a computer. You've got a gaming computer. and a computer. A modern and it's PC. Up, it's, hooked up, right? it's hooked up to a computer. It runs Windows. It's got hard drives. It's got memory. It just it's a regular computer. And then you've got essentially a cell phone strapped to your face, uh, and then you've got Wii remotes and right. some other and some other sensors. So, but that's all in a bid to control the input via our sensory mechanism for certain channels of data: sight, sound, headphones. Right. We forgot the headphones. No, I said headphones. You said headphones. I said headphones. I didn't hear him. Oh. <laughs> Look at my face when I talk. <laughs> um, the uh, so it turns out that combining all of those together is a convincing enough experience that people get in there and they go, "Whoa!" So let's start with just sight, right? Because that's an easy one, and it tracks with things that we've talked about in the past, like camera sensors and stuff like that, where you can dig into previous episodes if you want to know what the breakdown on some of this tech like what's like we talked once about we talked about photography as a as a as a storage and recreation mechanism for reality Mm -hmm. and at the end of that we started at one point talking about how dense our screens relative to our ability to perceive that it's anything different from the reality what's the resolution that we see in real life right and so we are advanced enough at this point that we are able to collect way more light when we take a picture of something than we could even perceive with our eye if we were able to reproduce it. And with our screens, we've started to produce screens that are good enough that if you hold them at arm's length away like a phone, you really can't tell it's any different from a printed photo or, or a window actual, into the real world. Yeah, you're, when you're looking at a, a modern, uh, what do they call? What did Apple call its first Retina? It's Retina, retina displays, display. right? Because it's referencing right. the Retina in your eye, which is your eye's electromagnetic sensor. Uh, like you said, at arm's length, you may as well be peeking through a window. That's a great description, right? Your cell phone is a window to the top of Mount Everest. 
you're watching a video of someone climbing the mountain, you're watching a video of an astronaut in outer space, and you may as well just be there looking at outer space. The resolution is clear as day, clear as night, clear as space. And so <laughs> that that with the technology that we currently have, that does still get limited if you hold your retina phone right in front of your face. You can still tell that it's not reality. But that's what they have in you know, the highest density possible. These are the screens that they have in, or maybe not, but if they're not the highest density possible, then you, maybe you probably don't need it because these devices were developed through a program of let's put the best we can possibly put in there. They're probably close to the best. And then you got to scale it back to the cheapest version of what it's heading that way. Do the best that we can do well enough to achieve what we want, which is for you to feel presence in this space. Right. And so the, the headset on these devices is, is almost Almost, it's probably screens coming out of the same factories that are making your your iPhone, your Google phone, whatever, your HTC phone. Uh, HTC is a cell phone manufacturer. So. What used to be the expensive part of this was the was the screens, which is why some of the front runners are the companies that used to make phones. Um, used phone, to make phones, phone displays. Yeah, and but the other part of that is this because it's just a smartphone. Like it's a it's a it's an economy of scale thing. Those displays are really cheap because they're also being used in our phones. They're also being used in this and that and another thing. Yep. And like that same exact technology is being used in your phone. We're now producing hundreds of millions, if not billions, of these screens every year to ship these tiny little windows to outer space around for everyone to have in their pocket. And we've achieved a, a, a like a like a the image looks good enough. That with what we have right now, it's only going to get cheaper mm-hmm. to have better than we have right now, which as, as our last episode clearly, I think showed is enough that we did an episode just going, <laughs> it's, it's, we're there. It's happened. <laughs> that episode is just me gushing about the most mundane things that I did inside of a video game, <laughs> like trying to lean on the balcony right. overlooking Gotham City. And then not having a balcony be there and me repeatedly trying to touch the, the balcony. And so that's the visual piece. Like anything deeper than that, we have an episode where we talk about the structure of displays and the structure of cameras and all that kind of stuff, like about pixels and RGB and the color space. And there are limitations to this, but they're pretty damn well dialed in to we can reproduce visual reality in remarkable ways in a VR headset. I've been saying screen because it's easier, and lots of times it is one screen that's cut in half. Yeah. But you actually have two input streams coming in. You've got both eyes. You have two visual input because the the eyes are distinct. And so then you're using what's called stereoscopic vision, where you're giving each eye a slightly different image. And because of that, your brain is tricked into thinking that you see depth. That's all computers. Well, we've had that. That's just taking that screen, splitting it in half. We've Man. had that for hundreds of years. You can go back and see those little cards where you've, you literally just, ever since the invention of photography, and probably before that, probably even when we were just doing drawing, once we discovered perspective in 3D space, uh, in art, in, in various periods throughout history, this has been sort of discovered and lost and whatnot, but you can get those little things where you just put two cards on the end of a stick and you hold them up to your nose and you get stereoscopic 3D vision. Right. Because all, 
all that three dimensions is. And this touches on that, that weird space, right? It's not electromagnetic sensing that gives me a sense of 3D. It's the fact that I have two eyes and my brain gets information from the fact that I have two eyes. You have two eyes so that you can tell how far away something is and grab it and touch it. You can reach food and put it in your mouth because your eye knows it's three feet away. And so the algorithm, you have an algorithm for synthesizing. You have a, you have a spatial processor in your brain that has evolved that allows you to get that distance and your ears are doing the same thing. It's the reason you have two ears. Right. So let's, so then we can take it to the ears and that's the same. We, We did an episode on audio processing that covers all of the technological stuff behind this, but you're talking about pulling a pressure wave out of the substrate around you, the air, and processing that data into what it means about the world around you. We replicate it with microphones and amplifiers and PA systems, but all a PA system is doing is pushing a big piece of plastic Kevlar foam, whatever, to reproduce a sound wave. And then that sound wave hits your ear and you can't tell the difference between that sound and the thing. The recorded sound and the original sound wave that hit the microphone and right. recorded that wave, right? So it's just, it's digitizing a representation of that reality. Well, that's what's so interesting about the interface here as we get into these technologies layering into to tools that we put on ourselves to create VR is we still aren't, all of this digital technology, all of our smartphones and Wi-Fi and the wires that we run between computers and speakers that doesn't mean anything to our bodies. We don't have an interface. You can't plug USB into my USB port to send me information. Right. Even if we record sound perfectly and digitize it and do all this fancy software manipulation, you still, at the end of the day, have to take a big piece of piece of plastic and shake it with your hands to reproduce the sound so that my body can interpret it the way my body evolved to hear sound. You can't tap into your brain yet to do something some other way. And so it's so strange that we're miniaturizing these things. We've miniaturized speakers. Essentially, we have miniaturized your mouth (laughs) and put it inside my ear so that you can reproduce your talking in my ear. Right. It's so weird. Yeah. And then when you think about stereo sound and then surround sound and some stuff we talked about last week, like that was two speakers. And two speakers is better than... Nothing, because you have the two ears, and with the two ears, you can tell what's left and what's right. But then with surround, they started working with, well, but you can also tell what's behind you. So maybe if we put a speaker back there, then you can also have this sensation of things that are behind you, and now you feel sort of enveloped in the soundscape of this movie or TV, whatever it is, right? Creating the 3D space of sound. And then somebody said, well, what if we set up all that to play back the sound that we built digitally, and then we record it into two microphones, shaped like ears. And they realized that that created two channels of data like we're supposed to have that that also has the information about the direction that it's coming from that your ear mechanism would produce so that you can have <laughs> headphones that reliably reproduce this surround experience of sound like coming from behind you and stuff like that. But once you've done that sort of experiment, you can, with a computer, figure out really easily and really well what exactly is changing in the sound data, in the digital data that comprises the sound. Like, you can figure out what's happening to that sound that is caused by that ear mechanism, and you don't even need the ear mechanism. So you can just produce digitally with a computer sounds that just sound like you're in the room, and you hear bloop behind you, and it sounds like it's behind you. And they just did that by having a scene 
in which they told the computer. And then there's a bloop and it's behind them kind of about here. And then it goes bloop and it sounds like it's in that space. So once you have a computer, you can use the manipulation of all that stuff to build that 3D soundscape from scratch. And now you've got essentially your body's complete mechanism for recognizing where it is in 3D space. Almost. Because you're if you assume most of the time you're standing on a flat ground, right? Right. So that doesn't really change. You're right. You can't kind of clamber on rocks. You can't climb a wall or swing from a rope quite yet. But you can see in three dimensions everywhere you look. You're, there's depth. There's distance. You, you know where you are relative to everything. And you know the same thing with sound. Everything you hear in this VR environment has a three-dimensionality to it. You know the direction it's coming from. You know roughly how far away it is. You can hear a monster creeping around behind you in a dungeon. And it's fucking terrifying. <laughs> we played a we played a couple scary games and I could barely I could barely make it through the first few minutes. It was I, I didn't even make it through the intro of one of the games when I was surrounded by robots. You were that doing most on me of all the sudden, one ear out. I almost started crying. so that you could you could you could uh, still talk to me. <laughs> <laughs> um, for safety. For, right for for safety for safety for it was safety. my tether my last remaining tether so that's sight and sound i feel like covered like i don't feel like we need to really dig into the tech piece yeah. of that so much the last piece is is position in space so the thing that all of the systems in one way or another have figured out is how to use an external sensor or eventually sensors on board the headset to actually know where your head is in a in your where your whole body is in a chunk of 3d physical space and we talked about it in the last vr one like that seemed to be the magic when you add in the motion and the ability to calibrate this whole system so that the visual and audio experience that you're having represents where you would be in space dynamically based on where your ears should be facing where your eyes should be facing all that kind of stuff. It's this multiplier on top of this stuff where it really suddenly is this sensation where people, people go ah! and whip their headset <laughs> off because it's so unexpected. Um, I had a lot of those experiences. So let's talk about uh, in terms of knowing where it is in space, the first step really that got us to, to this, I guess, historically is accelerometers in cell phones, right? Let's talk about drones for a minute, maybe. Okay. Uh, cause drones had to solve this problem. You can't see it, but I'm giving him a look like <laughs> this is a wild diversion. Let's well, drones are interesting because drones <laughs> essentially, well, there's some interesting things coming with drones in VR, especially if you look at companies that VR companies, that, companies that VR companies have been buying recently, right. uh, drones and VR are coming together very quickly. But drones had to solve the problem of, uh, and we're talking like little the little helicopter drones, like four propellers, six propellers, ever cruising around, um, controlling with your smartphones and stuff. Some of these days, they have to solve the problem of uh, where am I? Where am I on Earth? Like where am I on a map? Where am I in altitude in 3D space? And then also orientation. Am I looking forward? Am I looking sideways? Am I looking left? Left, right, up, down, pitch, yaw, what's the third? So it's basically the same problem you have to solve for drones, but drones have GPS. 
Right. So let's talk about what GPS drones. Is. Drones essentially have all the sense. All the sensors that are in your phone are were made cheap. This is why drones are around right now too. All of a sudden, because all this all this technology that goes into your phone to allow your your phone to know kind of orientation as you're holding it. Um, okay. Allowed so, drones. So the split is accelerometers. An accelerometer is a is a little piece of hardware tech that you can put on a chip that can tell relative to where you started how you tilted a device basically forward backward it shook it went wherever like most motion sensors on and like fitbits and stuff work via accelerometer accelerometer which is just basically a spring bounces and the computer is able to perceive the spring and then from the spring it can tell you oh this bouncing this bouncing at this rate with this tempo is probably a run and so we'll count this as this much physical activity and calories and blah, blah, blah. It's an interesting sensor because it's actually a gravity sensor. It's right. A, that's really of, what it is. Right. Gravity sensor. That's, and that's how, that's exactly how it's used. It's, it's just a piece of metal that when it's pulled on by gravity, uh, the electrical signal through it changes. changes. And so as you move it in 3D space, it can sense changes in gravity. And so when you put three of them together... You can get position. You know in three-dimensional space at what angle you're holding these little accelerometers, and you all of a sudden know where a head is looking or where a drone right. is facing. So so these things that we put in the cell phones, and everyone needs now these days in their cell phones, oh, they're everywhere, and they're so super cheap. They're microscopic as well. Yeah, They've been microscopic. Reduced. They're a men's tiny, device. Tiny. Micro-electronic machines. So that lets you know how you're tilted, how you're aimed how like things like that right you can hold a phone and the phone knows where it's gone but it doesn't know like how high off the ground it is necessarily it just knows where it's but again there are centers there are things barometers there are ways that they can even sense that kind of stuff like how high off the ground it is and that's what drones use and that's what drones have a barometer in it i think so yeah i think they do i think they do that's just um that's an interesting one for me because when i first started playing barometers which is what an altimeter is right? right it's a barometer uh, that measures atmospheric pressure, the weight of air in the atmosphere. How much weight of air is and so leaning on you? I didn't know <laughs> that that... I still don't exactly know how accurate or how that works out, right? Because barometric pressure changes. Right. With and it's like stormy out, right? Yeah, so... But it also tends to be a very good... We're, I'm missing something on the tech here, but it works as an it works as it tells you how high up you are. It tells you at what level you are in in the ocean of air that we live at the bottom of. Right. And so figuring out this problem, so then so beyond this to expand it past the little about uh, amount of space that the accelerometer systems built into our phones can can perceive. You're you're starting to talk about like these global scale problems. It's what we use maps for. It's what we use compasses for. The 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 crude but reliable sextant. <laughs> the you know like the, <laughs> they're all. Do you have a sextant? In I your don't. Office? I don't have. You sextant. must have a sextant somewhere. <laughs> How is that possible? We we're gonna have to pause right now while you go order a sextant, a sextant to hold up. Uh, <laughs> But for real, though, all these techniques for figuring out your position in space, like what the drone can ping is GPS, which is a fucking satellite that we put up to circle the globe so that we could always know where we are on it. So that our weapon systems always know <laughs> so that where you are. our weapon systems 
Exactly. Let's be clear. The U.S. military developed GPS to track the military. And we've talked about this before in the context of tracking. Like, you, for a cell phone to work, they need to know which tower to send signal from because they can't just blanket the earth in the data that is your phone call. <laughs> um, you don't want it that way either. <laughs> uh so they already kind of know your position. So there's a very elaborate network for understanding like where my phone is in space in a city, mm-hmm. uh, geographically, with a certain you know fidelity. And then from the other side, from inside the phone, it has a vague sense of where it is, right? In 3D space. In 3D it knows space. if the screen's facing up or sideways or down or at an angle. So first, let's talk about how, yes. how GPS and radio signals and all that kind of stuff know where you are in that space. Right, well, like, how does a drone know where it is, how high, how low, where, don't go this way, it's the ocean. Like, uh, an autonomous drone, we should, we should right. say. Because if it's piloted okay, well, by a person, it knows because the Well, from that, I was going to say, you have, with between GPS, right, three, or, I'm sorry, through from accelerometers, three accelerometers gives you uh, orientation in space. What direction is your cell phone looking? Is the screen up? Are you looking at it? Is it in your pocket, etc.? Then by adding in uh, altimeters, the barometric sensor, the pressure, air pressure sensor, your phone knows how high you are. Are you hiking? Are you at the top of a mountain? Have you gone up 10 flights of stairs today? Uh, you're still missing pieces about where it is in the universe, right? It now knows relative to itself how it's oriented and have I gone up and down. Then... It's got uh, magnetometers, which sense the it's magnetic... A it's, a it's a compass. It has yeah. a built-in compass that senses the magnetic field of the Earth. And so now it knows orientation relative to the planet, not relative to itself anymore. It knows if you're if it's facing north. So your phone is kind of getting some sentience here, right? Am I facing north right now? Oh, I am. Oh, I'm at the top of a mountain also. Interesting. You still don't quite know where you are entirely, though. You know the direction you're facing, and you know if you're facing... You know your own orientation, you know if you're facing north relative to the surface of the Earth. But you don't know where on the planet you are yet until so you bring in GPS. Problems. The same as when we talk about can you reproduce a... Can you reproduce a and there, visual image or sound? It's like, yeah, to a point. And in both of those, we've gotten to a point where you can't tell the difference. It, it's the same with this, like... We know the position and we're able to know where you are in space, but it cuts off at a point. Like as a programmer, like we, we, I built a location-based game once and we were limited by the fact that the system that that phone had access to at the time eh, only knows where you are down to about a hundred, like 250 feet. Yeah. GPS 10 years ago was something like that, I think. And so... That meant, like, if I wanted sure, to know that you were in a particular Starbucks, I couldn't be sure, because the two stores next door were also within the sphere of the 250 feet it might be off by, mm-hmm. right? So that wasn't good enough for letting you know where you were. But that's what Foursquare was for. People would check in. I- I'm actually, I'm at Starbucks. It's funny that they were people were just like, no, that's cool. I'll give you the last mile. Yeah, the resolution wasn't, <laughs> wasn't good enough, right? Right. Uh, and I think it still is that way with GPS. Because GPS is physical satellites that cost hundreds of millions of dollars right. that have to be launched outer space, which also costs hundreds of millions of dollars. And cell so. towers, which if we want our cell phones need to keep working, they they work with the same sort of system, same but the points are closer together, so the granular, so the resolution is better. But like 
the thing to understand is that we pushed all this technology for triangulating this position out into the world to propagate this communication network that we that we love so much. And now we're miniaturizing it because the physics that control I I almost didn't say physics because I, I, it, it ends up being a geometric problem, but it is physics because it has to do with the speed of light and the fact that you can time the speed of light. But never mind that piece. The point is the the same physics and geometry and math and things that computers are really good at that apply to making sure your cell phone can get your call are at work in a VR system that's sure tracking you your position. And when you're down to that resolution, it really is just like, it knows where your nose is in space. And so you turn it like, when you're wearing a headset and you're using a similar system of triangulation, you really can know where everything is in a 20 by 20 square for $800, probably $200 worth of technology. Yeah, all of the things that allows your phone to know where you are on the highway and give you directions or allows you to make a phone call has been put into your living room if you have a virtual reality device. You have the you've got the phone, which is essentially the headset and the controllers, it knows where it is for a bunch of things that are going on, and then we've brought the the GPS satellites or the cell towers in as these little sensors that go in the room, whether it be a video camera or an infrared light emitter or some other sensor that these different systems are using, that's in, in, in the living room. And now you have all of these components that we've put out in the world, like you said, for cell phones, made small in a small little area that we're trying to track your physical being so we can transfer you into a virtual reality. So then let's talk about the, the math piece, triangulation. Everybody loves to talk about math, right? It's a fun <laughs> word. Yeah, let's let's just let's just rack in the fans with our wrapped discussion of mathematics. <laughs> the uh, no, but you hear the term triangulate in the context of like action movies, triangulation, stuff, right? All the time. It's a great buzz term. It's a great word. Um, triangulation is based on like if you know the distance between you and two points is it one point how three exactly points. does it work three points three points that's where the try comes from i guess <laughs> <laughs> but so the part i was talking about before is it, it is a matter of physics because you can you can know how far something is away from you by measuring how long it takes to bounce a radio wave off of it and then notice that that radio wave came back or bounce a laser off of it and notice that that laser bounced back. Um, which is how like range finders that they use on the golf course work. Yeah. They're bouncing a laser off of something that you pointed it at and saying it took this many milliseconds for this to bounce back to me. The speed of light is a constant. I now know how far that device is from me. I have no other information about where it is in space, but I know how far away from me. That's a great example because all you care about in that situation, you know where you're standing. You have to hit a golf ball from there. One point. And you know, you can see a a flag and you're trying to get the golf ball to that. And so all you really care about there is how far is that flag from me right now? So you can pick the right club. So you only need this little bit of information. You just need the distance from me to the flag or me to the next spot where you're trying to hit the golf ball. And so, that, just so that's one, essentially the one axis, right? That's but a one-dimensional... Right. And so if you have a second spot, 
that you can use to also know the distance to that one, then using math, you can calculate the distance between all three of these objects and where you are relative to all manner of other things. This is what trigonometry is actually for, except they <laughs> never tell you that until you get to fucking graduate school. Can you tell them I'm grumpy? Everybody's grumpy about oh, yeah. math. That's because you did. generally don't use trigonometry. <laughs> <laughs> I hate to say that because it's, it's like kind of ignorant in a way, but it's also something that needs to be faced. Right. When you're teaching kids, be like, you're not going to use this day to day. Don't expect to go home and use triangulation to like select a spot to build your fort in the woods. But it's important. Conceptually, we really don't need to get... <laughs> There's no math to really talk about, except to think that to know where something is, you need to know positions about it. And we Distance live in... from only two points, and you can learn an awful we're, lot about where a thing is. We're able to in the real world right now when you're walking around town with your cell phone if there are three cell towers within distance of your phone then the cell system knows exactly where your phone is it can measure the time it takes to send a radio signal to your phone and get one back or from one tower and then it can do the same thing from two other towers two other towers and that's enough sensor that it can know exactly where to to beam that call so that you can receive it which is not exactly how it works, but the reason they're chasing being able to do that well is because the more direct they can make that signal path, the cheaper their lo- their world gets because they don't have to broadcast as hard, I think. Broadcast as hard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't take as much wattage, I guess, to not have to blow a whole thing in a, in a sphere all around your tower. But so that's how so that relates to like how radar and and lidar work, which are terms. Laser radar is just with sound waves, lidar is using lasers. But you're bounce you're you're measuring something bounced off and came back at this really high rate, which gives you a much a higher resolution picture of how that thing is in space. Mm-hmm. Where it is at any ultrasound time. is the same thing. It's how we can like use the thing to look through your skin. It all has to do with this stuff bouncing back at you. That's how everything kind of works. X-rays, same thing. Um, different, me- different medium, different material. And so through a combination of accelerometers and essentially like radar units, they're, they're LIDAR technically, but I, I'm saying radar because that's the term that people know. You, this, this VR system can now know where you are in space. Specifically the one that I have, the, the HTC Vive, has two little broadcast units essentially that you put at opposite corners of your play space pointing downward um to like a 45 degree angle toward the center of where you're going to play or you know what you want to have as your vr space and those have a laser that spins and through a cone of influence broadcasts infrared lasers that i can't see through that that space so fast that the sensors on the headset and on the controllers can get hit at any given second that they are in a space by some laser from somewhere and then the and then the and then the headset has something like 26 little eyes on it that only pick up that spectrum of of light and they are oriented in a certain way and the computer knows how they're oriented it's the same on the controllers it's really the exact same thing that your body is doing 
when you walk into a room and turn a light on and then say, oh, there's the remote, I'm going to go get it. We have now built computer systems that turn on a light, they turn on their infrared light that you can't see, and they say, oh, there's Adam, I'm going to render a virtual reality around him now based on where I see him. And so not only are we reproducing a reality for ourselves that mimics our experience in our universe, but to do it, we had to build a computer that senses the universe the way that we do so that we can reproduce it for ourselves. It's very meta. <laughs> right. Like, this is the part where it gets trippy, right? Because, like, if you want to talk about the development of the technology, like, the thing that they're chasing down, because they also have to make it cheap so that it can get to us, it's, it's kind of what I alluded to earlier. They, they can make higher density displays than they are putting in products right now. But it's very expensive. But they started out by testing those out to see if they worked in these devices. And then they backed it off to what they could afford, but still fool people reliably. And that's always how consumer electronics work, right? Like, so that's why there's waves of like VR comes out, but it sucks. Because they've been gunning for it for a while. And now they have hit the point where they're like, oh, that's good enough. In fact, that's even better than we need for this game to be exactly what it needs to be. And they've backed it off. It only takes those 26 input spots for them to know 100% we don't need. Like part of what these algorithms are doing constantly is calculating percentage. Like they call, about, they call it confidence. Like if you watch AI algorithms process stuff, they frequently have a thing where it's like, we think it's this, here's the confidence level with which we think that. Mm -hmm. think it's this, here's the confidence level. This is where we think it is. This yeah. is where we think it's, it's looking. And so, and it, it, in that sense, being the human. The human, right. Um, Where is the human? And so because all these sensors are here, one can be like, well, I got a ping, but it's kind of weak. So it's 20% confidence with which I think I am currently facing directly toward the sensor. Yeah, so right? to be... Or to toward be, the LiDAR unit. To be really clear here, the, these systems don't actually know anything about your physical body. They're not looking at your body. They're not measuring your body. The, the headset... And the controllers each have like 20 or 30 or some number of sensors. You had to visualize what they can see. It's not like, it can only it's see not the, like heat vision through a wall. It can right? only like see not, a headset. Right. It can only see like 20 spots on the headset, essentially mapping out the physicality of the headset and the same thing with the controllers. Right. But from that, you get an amazing approximation of where your body is. And so the computer can render as though... When you look around, when when you lean forward and your hands come back a little bit to counterbalance your body and everything, it pretty much knows that because it knows what your skeletal system is going to do in our gravitational space. And so it mimics where your body is just by sensing kind of where your eyes and your head are and where your hands are. Can't play soccer yet. It doesn't know where your feet are. But it's not that far a stretch to slip a sock on. That Same has some sensors, sensors on can it. go all over the place. Yeah. So it's it's just interesting that like... I, this is we're there we're like we're at the philosophical cliff because 26 sensors what if you had 27 what if you had 28 their first configuration had like 40 some and they slowly took them off and they went oh man which we don't need nearly we need many, much lower fidelity than we thought we needed to reproduce mm -hmm. like everyone came at the problem like man reality that's gonna be a hard thing mm, turns out not so much it's astonishing how well <laughs> two controllers and a headset that are measured in 3d space how well that approximates presence. your 95 percent of presence day to day right moving around a room interacting with stuff on tables which is essentially all humans do 
<laughs> you sit on the couch and you go interact with something on a table and then you sit in a different couch. Right. That's your day. <laughs> uh, so it's really just, it's, it's, a, uh, there's so many, like, to me, that's off the, the philosophical cliff because how much don't we know? Right. It's like, we have this idea that it's like, I saw it. So it happened. Well, mm. your brain perceived that you saw it and that's all you're really telling me. So there is a link in there where we could go, no, if the brain's not working right, we can't really trust his testimony. So as a lawyer, I'm going to try to prove that his brain's not working right <laughs> so that we can't trust his testimony. <laughs> like, you know, it's so it it's this crazy. It's so VR sort of forces us to confront on a level that all of our way of perceiving the universe is not that special because we rebuilt it in this way where, I mean, it's mind-blowing that we got here, right? So many cool things. But how long did it take us to evolve? Hundreds of thousands of years it took for us to evolve into having these mechanisms. Millions of years. And in like... Because most what, of our mechanisms are essentially mechanisms... And in the rest 300 of the years, has. we were like, okay, let's reproduce virtual reality. And we're able right. to fool all of those senses at a level of fidelity that is high enough that you repeatedly went, ah! And backed away from a thing that wasn't actually there. In the real world. They were deep growls. They weren't howls like right. that. This is, I'm a man. That's the noise I I made. was playing a manly game. I was Batman. I was, I was owning the role of Batman Joe. doesn't squeal. <laughs> you went. I said, oh, I'm Batman. I'm Batman. I'm Batman. <laughs> Tell your friends. Ah, I'm Batman. <laughs> uh, well, there are a couple interesting philosophical components that come up in this tech conversation. And we'll get... I think we want to do a third one here that's like deep philosophy, but um, the one that came up a bunch here is physical space and where you are relative to things and where you are not relative to things. And the idea we were talking about, how do you measure where you are? And we started talking about finding yourself on earth, like a drone finding itself. And we started with a phone having orientation in 3D space. And once it knows its orientation in 3D space, it kind of knows what it is. It knows its existence. Measuring its place on Earth is arbitrary. Did we measure its place in the solar system? Did we measure its place in your bedroom? Did we measure its place in the United States? We like picked this frame of reference that we happen to live in to then relate the cell phone's location to some other location. And it... When you all of a sudden take that to the point now where this these VR systems only want to know your location so that they can put you somewhere else, so they can take you off of Earth and put you into a onto a different planet or into the middle of outer space, your relative position to other things has to make you question what does it mean to be near something or to be somewhere. Right. Like so and that's why it's so you talked about it last week. That's why it's so disorienting when you play a game that plays with time. Because when things go in slow motion, time. we just twisted this perception wow. of, like, right? I mean, the third piece is, this is, I, I deliberately avoided time. Because as soon as we talk about what are you measuring when you measure how long it takes for a thing yeah. to bounce. Let's save time. time. Let's right? save time for the third episode. But this is why <laughs> VR gets crazy. Because it's it's like, so the first thing we did in VR was we were like, what if we make a game where we can... You can't see, but I'm twiddling my fingers. 
very what optimistic. Do we, what do we do if we could? What if we could manipulate time? And then things around you start moving in slow motion, and you go, "What the fuck? Oh, ooh, this is interesting. I can grab a bullet and I can throw it." And then you end up talking about the Matrix, which the central conceit of the f- climactic scene of that whole thing is he can control time now. <laughs> Holy shit! We can never beat him. We can control time now. <laughs> 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 like I so- <laughs> most certainly grabbed a bullet out of midair, dodging a. I slowed time down to dodge bullets coming at me, and I grabbed one out of the air, threw it back at a robot, sped time back up, and then grabbed him by his arms and legs and tore him apart. And I really felt like that happened to me. So that's so that so then you have to ask these questions off off the cliff of like, well, okay, but so then did it? I don't and. Know. I mean, we manipulate time right, right like now. Only because the, the time-based chain of experiences that you had leads you to believe that's not the real reality. <laughs> it is that you think that this you have this division between reality and whatever, right? So if once you can once you can untether this physical space existence from these other things that we are subject to, like the idea that real estate even matters only has to do with the fact that there's only so much of it. Right? Mm-hmm. Like, if you feel like your apartment is too small, it's because you don't have enough physical space. But if you have enough space to move around in, you can have infinite rooms if you just have one empty room with the sensors to digitize your presence in that room. That comment would have been relatively meaningless to me a few days ago. And now, having played with a the VR system that you have, which now that I've played with that VR system, that comment means a lot to me. I actually, some thoughts I had while I was in there is, wow, my office will be 10 times the size it is right now because I can reproduce all these things I need in VR. One of the I don't com- need a whiteboard. Why what? would I have a whiteboard in my office if I can put, put a pair of glasses on and have an infinite number of whiteboards? Right. There were some unbelievable realizations that I came to wearing this VR set that that we played with this weekend. It it this well, is and this is, this is the, universe changing. Like me working in in, it's a thing that I think you are very familiar with from your mechanical engineer days, and I'm really familiar with from all the woodwork that I do. But mm-hmm. like the headspace that I'm in when I'm in a workshop versus the headspace I'm in in an office or sitting at a desk, they're very different. It's a very different thing to go. I need this type of saw. I know I keep it over here. And then you walk across the room and you get that saw and you walk back and you're standing there and you're moving and you're, you know, like workshop studio behavior is very different than sitting at a desk and using a computer. But most people spend all of their lives now sitting at computers because that's the stuff that we want to manipulate. And so the idea that I could take video editing or I could take podcast editing and I could make the experience more like, being in a workshop or being in a in a yeah. on a factory floor, I don't know where it's applicable exactly. Not yet. But holy shit, to yeah. be able to take a video and go and carry this over here, put it there, we'll look at the think thing. of think of all the different pieces of software that you use day to day at your computer, where you're just tied to sitting in front of a computer. It's it's absurd that you wouldn't have a custom interface for writing stories and a custom interface for doing Excel and a custom interface for browsing Facebook. And maybe sometimes that's sitting at a desk with a typewriter, right? Like I'm not saying everything Absolutely. is digitized. But then we take this one step further and this is where it gets so fucking crazy because it's computers. The people that design video games right now, they sit at a computer <laughs> and they run through 
the universe from the view of the camera that is essentially the window into that reality that your monitor is, right? Like you could put on a headset and you could design a video game by going, okay, I want this type of barrel. Here's an infinite selection of the ones that look good. Okay, barrel, bam, you put a barrel in this corner. Now the guy can hide behind the barrel. They'll put some walls over here. Like you can walk through your universe and design a world I like mean, a sculptor or a woodworker or whatever and be just designing a video game the, the inter- for universe for other people to walk up. Like you can design video game worlds from inside the world. So when you were going to make that office, you wouldn't sit at a computer and figure out how to do it. You're just going to walk into a blank room and go, okay, whiteboard over here, put this over here, put that over there. It rethinks like, everything about, it makes you rethink what you'd want your reality to be if you could make it anything. And having, <laughs> right? I mean, why even be on the ground at right. some point, right? You could float through your office in right. 3D space. Maybe all of a sudden our brains can adapt and understand five-dimensional space in VR. We can we can now make things that are just unfathomable at the moment. This is the bare, barely beginning of virtual reality. And th- the experience that I had, I, obviously I'm, I'm embarrassed with like the fanboyness of this experience, but it was overwhelming to that capacity. And the experience I had... I just keep having a stupid smile on my face because this is what happens anytime anyone tries it out. This is the introduction to VR experience. The scene in... It's fun. Basically think of any scene from The Matrix that you said, whoa, to. And that is now... That is is going to be a gaming system that is priced the same as any other gaming system on Earth uh, in a few years. And so if you have PlayStation, if you have an Xbox, if you have a gaming computer... Uh, in a few years, you'll have this virtual reality, and it is not just games anymore. It is going to totally rethink how you do everything that involves a computer, which everyone is doing all day long right now. Because you don't think of your phone as a computer, but it's a computer, and it's a computer that's powerful enough to run this kind of software. That's the crazy thing. Like That's why the thing with cardboard is... Like, you can't even scoff at the cheaper versions of this that you just plug a phone into. They are still remarkably effective at doing the thing that we're talking about in terms of space. But the real thing for me, and it goes back to what I was saying before about monitors, like you, it, my, both of the monitors that I'm looking at here at the time that I bought them cost me 800 bucks. That's just as much as the Vive setup mm-hmm. cost me. There's a point where it's going to just be a, a budget productivity question that we're not buying monitors, we're buying headsets. For sure. It's just cheaper than a monitor. You want monitors? Set up monitors in the headset. Yep. So, it's gonna be, so Have so this, all the monitors you'd like. So I talk about designing video game worlds, but we're not really talking about video game worlds because it, this is going to spread into everything else from video yeah. games. And I actually primarily want this right now. Uh, and I think my brother's really going to like this. I hope he listens to this episode. <laughs> I awesome. want, it's more I want can... an endless dungeon of whiteboard. I just want to wander forever in every direction and be surrounded by whiteboard that I can lay out in whatever capacity I want. And I want every note I've ever... Slack is great, but I want Slack integrated with a VR whiteboard room. So you can I want all of my games. notes, and yeah. I want to be able to teleport in and go to the mountaintop where I meditated uh, and came up with an idea. Shit, no, I want, I want a VR into the park where I did yoga the other day where I had this great idea. So all of these associations are in this VR Flooding space back. where I have a whiteboard. Yeah. Which it's, it's, it goes back to what I, I think I said in the other episode about 
like mind palaces and how our brain works for memory, like these memory <laughs> techniques that you can use. Like you, I, I always listen to the raw audio of what we're doing while I'm running. And I really specifically then later remember bits where I thought, Oh, I got to cut that out. And I'm like, Oh, I was here in my run. And so if I'm doing a five mile loop, it takes an hour and a half. If I was here, I know like if I was at this particular physical place i remember where in the episode it was that i wanted to cut a thing out it's a really interesting phenomenon i've noticed since i started that sort of cycle of doing that but it completely makes sense and potentially in a few years while you're running you can stop for a second only so that you don't run into a pole and go to your whiteboard dungeon and write that note down right. real quick Click and then on go my back glasses to write it down go back to my run this is a this is a this was a, a crazy weekend. Bananas. <laughs> crazy bananas weekend experience. So I think part three, which we'll do in the next one, because we should wrap this up, is I think there's resistance to the social or, or to VR stuff because of a, so, a certain social component where mm. people say, oh, it's so isolating to have a helmet on. And it is. And I, I, this, It is in a way. We, we did talk about this in the last one, but this is part three, man, which is... It, it is and it isn't. I can get so much information about how you are feeling out of things that we can digitize. So in the third episode here, we're going to talk about the other senses, the mystical senses a little bit, right? Which right. we touched on here some. Um, we're going to talk about uh, what are the implications, right? Social. Like, it is weird. I came to your house to spend the weekend with you hanging out. And we went into virtual reality where repeatedly I was struggling in there. Mm, hey, I can't hear you. You're interrupting my experience in this other reality right. versus the other times where I just keep one headphone off so I could kind of keep one toe in reality so we could still interact. That's bizarre. That's a weird thing that needs to be addressed. Um, and then just in general, what are, what's the future of what are the implications of this for humanity? Because this this does touch a lot on everything we talk about. But all they're the time crazy the broad, right? Because it's like think about you know it, it, it. The reason it needs a whole hour is because think about how much how you feel about your office. For the average person, my my life is weird. Brian's life is weird with regards to how our offices are, right? But like, do you really need to go there? And people say, oh, well, the productivity, blah, blah, blah. And they talk about phenomenon that happen at, at offices, right? Mm -hmm. But if you had to be in your headset and you had that, you could, you can engineer it so that you only have the interactions that are the ones that <laughs> cause that, that bump. The usefulness. And you cannot have the ones that suck. Like the Traffic. guy that won't stop talking to you in the break room, even though you got to go do a thing, but you don't want to be rude. And he's got, you know, and you got to go, man, I got to go. And then you feel like a dick and like, just traffic. Let's just get rid of traffic. So <laughs> you can still well, you go to the office. Rid of traffic by people not needing just to put, drive. Just to put get your headset work, on, which they don't have to do if they just wear a headset. So what do we need roads for? <laughs> like this, like just. And I'm not. I Uber's going to be like out of I'm business. Just, waving my hands, but that—that's what we're talking about here. Like this yeah. bananas. Do you need to leave and sit it? Do you need to live in cities anymore? Do you need to get up? Do you need to like, leave your saline sack? Right. That you sleep in now. The, the the experience here made it made it. Uh, I've always bought into these sci-fi themes, right? The idea of the Matrix is that humans are actually in a saline sack, and the, the their reality is just this made-up computer reality. Uh, and that's 
silly. That's that's weird and dumb. But at the same time, this made it so obvious that that could be what's happening right now. It was just so we're to the point. This this reality was so convincing for my body that within a few years, it will be it will be convincing enough that you could put a newborn human, hook them into this machine, and never leave it, and they wouldn't know if it was any different. <laughs> Well, you're welcome. I'm glad you had that experience. But uh, thanks for, I hope this got you fired up about VR. <laughs> I, you know, it's, this is a real, like, I, I'm, I am enjoying how stoked about this you are because you tried it out. I wasn't sure if you would feel meh about it or not. I think it's unavoidable it's to feel. Future. Other, I, I think a lot of people could, could try this technology and not be excited in the way that we are as nerds. Like, oh my gosh, all the things we've imagined through science fiction our whole lives are available. I spent hours on the holodeck the other night, uh, and that experience, that jubilee might be missing in certain people playing with it. Uh, jubilation? Jubilee is a person's name, uh, an X-Men character. Anyway, but the experience of, holy shit, what just happened, is what everyone experiences. Right. When you walk over the balcony from a 40-story building and you don't fall, you're amazed. When you're unable to step off the balcony. I was unable to step over the balcony without leaning forward and touching the couch. Because your brain didn't want you to fall off the side of a mountain. And, you know. It's amazing. Well, before you you guys, you know, in the meantime, before everyone is jacked into the Matrix and, and I don't have to talk for you to listen to my ideas. Thank you for <laughs> hanging around for another Zengineering podcast. Thanks, as always, to our backers on Patreon. If you want to help us out, throw us as little as a dollar an episode. That's patreon.com slash zengineeringpod. P-A-T-R-E-O-N. Thanks for hanging out. I'm Adam. Um, Brian. Enjoy the physicality of your reality. Because it's all we've got. They're listening in. We've got fans right now crowding the window outside of the studio, dying to get in and get an autograph. Sorry, fans. Hey, everybody. Open the window. Wave, curb. Hey, everybody. We'll be out in a little bit. Hold tight. Yes, we love you, too. Great sign. <laughs>